everyone, and welcome to the Grown Up Girls Report podcast. I am sitting here with my beautiful friend, Julie Collard, because it's book club week, Jules. I'm so excited to talk about this one. Oh, this is such a beautiful, beautiful book. It's got all the feels. Oh, absolutely. Like it pushes all the buttons, doesn't it? it? Does. Especially if you're mother to teenagers, I oh, think. And teenage boys. Yes. Oh my God. Oh my God. I, I cried and cried and laughed and had the full set of emotions because we are talking about Craig Sylvie's book, Honey Bee. Such a good book. Honestly, it's one of my favourites of all time. So. Of all time. Absolutely. And how many books do you reckon it. you would have read in your entire life? Oh, God. Come on, let's say. Put me on the spot. Come I don't on. know. 300? 400, 500. Wouldn't it be thousands? It would be thousands, actually. It would have to be thousands, yeah. wouldn't it? Yeah. I mean, even if I'm reading a book a year now, a book a year, sorry, a book, a, book a, a week, 52 now. a year. Yeah, and, you know, I studied English at uni. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that yeah, was yeah. four books a week. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, I don't know, I don't know. So that's a pretty big claim, Jules. No, 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 no. We're into words, not numbers. That's why we're doing this. That's why we're doing this. But it's a pretty big claim, Jules. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Look, I just loved it. I mean, I I guess each book speaks to you at a certain stage of of your life as well. So maybe if I'd read this 10 years ago, I would have gone, meh. But for now, for where I'm at right now, I just think it's just a a beautiful book that just, um, yeah, it really hit a lot of very tender, raw parts of me it sounds awful no 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 I was the same because you read it ahead of me yeah and I remember you just saying oh you have to read this book and I I bought this a few weeks ago and I it didn't and I can I need to talk about it It, the cover didn't really get me get get me excited and interestingly online a few other people say oh I didn't like the cover and if you haven't seen the book let's describe the cover so there is a picture of the main character um, well it has to be the main character Sam um and it if he's quite a beautiful-looking young man. He's a beautiful-looking young man, but it's sort of a shadowy-type picture. Yeah, with red, lots of red lots light. Lots of red light. And he's got a horrific mullet. It's the mullet, well, I Maybe think. it's a beautiful mullet, given that mullets are coming back in. Well, they are. They're very big. Yeah, they're very big. <laughs> My son's friends, they're right into them. Um, I don't know what it is. I think I, I think I saw a lot of pain in that face. And that's perhaps why I didn't. In which case, it actually is a beautiful representation it of is the book. Exactly. <laughs> so it's an uncomfortable cover. Maybe is the uh, best way of describing it. It didn't. I didn't look at it and think, "Oh, yeah, I've got to read that." I looked enough at all. This possibly will be painful. He's not looking at you right in the eyes. No, he's not either. It's not confrontational. No. So maybe imagine it could have been even worse. I know it could have been even worse. Staring into yourself. Absolutely. But it did get a lot of criticism online. People really? say, "Oh, didn't like the cover. Couldn't stand it. Didn't, didn't want to pick it up." And it was. People will say then it was only when a friend said, "You have to read this," that they actually did. Which is? Do you tend to choose books by colour? Oh, it makes me sound so flaky. No, I, I like that too. But I don't, but it I know, adds to it. If I know about a book by reputation, however, or an author by reputation, mm. then the cover's irrelevant to That's me. It. Me too. That's yeah. how I work. Yeah. yeah. So because I've read Jasper Jones, Craig Sylvie's, you know, previous yeah. extremely highly regarded book, um, I knew that I wanted to pick this up and read this no matter what it looked like. It not matter. You weren't going to judge that book by its cover. Absolutely. Absolutely not. So this is a really interesting book. So essentially it's a gorgeous coming of age, yes. coming of age story about an Aussie teenager, Sam Watson, who is struggling with gender dysphoria whilst living sort of, I suppose, on the margins, in the margins Very of society. itinerant lifestyle absolutely he's been raised by a single mother who has very little to offer him basically because she's a bit drug addled and um really very much never recovered from having been a teenage mum and never found her feet never found her feet never really gives him a way to find his either no exactly exactly which creates such chaos in his world yes and um is a again a such a, a powerful reminder i suppose of of I suppose the impact of a good quality mothering and I mean I don't want to sound make that sound self-righteous but you know the children that are lucky enough to have invested parents who are there for them come what may yes. it's such a gift isn't it absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and you know some of the friendships in the book are you know it also made me realize Sam um, Sam is born into a, a male body but Sam feels very much as the, as though um, she is. We're gonna we're, we've got a, a pronoun thing, listeners. So we need let's to talk. talk about, let's talk yeah. about that, Jules. So we're just going to. I think Alex and I decided prior to uh, recording that we were going to discuss Sam as a she and a her. 
yeah. which might confuse people, but if we just put it out there, that's yeah. what we're going to do. Um, because although Sam was born with male identity, uh, well, identity is probably the wrong word. Um, male body features, perhaps. <laughs> Does that work? Yeah. Male bits. We know what we're talking we about. We know what we're talking yeah. about. He very um, much identifies yes, with, absolutely. He with, as a female. He feels truly himself mm. when in actual fact she is herself. Exactly right. <laughs> so, um, and that becomes apparent throughout, you know, fairly early in the book that that's um, how she is most comfortable and how she's truly herself. Absolutely. So we're going to talk about Sam in the she and her. Yes. And hope that we don't occasionally slip. And look, we probably will. So we're going to apologise in advance. Yes. I probably will slip, but I'm going to try very hard. Yeah. Out of respect for Sam and this beautiful character that Craig has oh, developed, just it's got all the feels, this book and this character. It's it's incredible. So in addition to the gender dysphoria, there are petty thefts, there's an extortion plot, there's botched bank robberies, there's a daring dog rescue, there's a drag show. <laughs> There's so much There's going so on. much drama, isn't there? Yes, yeah. There's so much drama. There yeah. really is so much drama. And it's interesting. So this book came out in 2020. And so just the way these things work, um, not all of the prizes that could have possibly been won have been won yet. So it's, it's early days for the prizes. Okay. But yeah. it was shortlisted for the 2021 um, Australian Book Industry Prize. Okay. And it was the Dimmick's Book of the Year last year. Okay. I didn't realise that, Jules. When did it go on sale? 2020. But late like last year. Month. Oh, uh, around the same time that um, Trent Dalton's book did. So quite late in the yeah, year. Yeah, quite late really. in the year. It came into that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So that was a really big call. Wow. Really, really big call. Okay. So I thought that was really interesting. So I think, Jules, we need to start with the start of the book because mm-hmm. I remember when you were, you know, egging me on to, to read it, you'll <laughs> say that first chapter. Oh, the first chapter. Yes, so yeah. let's tell you about the first chapter. So so Sam Watson, the protagonist, the main character, he's only 14 at the start of the book. She. she sorry. <laughs> apologies, apologies. Sam is only 14 at the start of the yeah. book. One night in the depths of despair, steps onto this quiet overpass, climbs over the rail and looks down at the road far below. But at the other end of this same bridge, an old man, Vic, Yes. He's in a similar situation. Yeah. He's so sw- so yeah. she, she's not really entirely committed to jumping her life. Yeah. Doesn't quite have, I guess, maybe the level of, of, you know, hasn't quite hit the depths that it takes to actually take that final step and to do away with herself. So she glances across and sees, yeah, this elderly gentleman at the other end, yeah. also on the wrong side of the guardrail. Exactly. Um, clearly looking to do the same thing yeah. and end his own life. Yeah. And that's how they meet. Yeah. Which is a like obviously an incredibly intense and vulnerable moment for them both. And, mm. You know, an amazing kind of a way to meet. And uh, as a um as a theme or, or, or like as a motif within the story, to be able to like have that as your introductory passage, I think is like what a great thing. Um like and yet it didn't actually come particularly from Craig Silby's imagination. I, no, and let's yeah. talk about that. So yeah. it actually is based on an experience that his brother and sister-in-law had when they actually one night came across um, uh, a teenage boy yes. who was thinking about ending his life yes. and he was on an, uh, standing on an overpass, I think, in Fremantle. Yes, and they and, actually and they talked stopped him down. and yeah, called the, um, the paramedics and the boy who also had mentioned to them that he was struggling with his um, gender identity. Mm. Um, mm. The boy was whisked away in an ambulance, presumably to receive some mental health care, yeah. and they never heard from him I again. Know. They tried to chase up the story yeah. because they were so invested in what might have happened to him. Yeah. And that's where Sam was born in Craig Sylvie's mind. Exactly. As, as a, I mean, so there wasn't a Vic on the bridge. No, there wasn't. <laughs> in, in that real-life scenario, but he took that and ran with that as a the starting point. I thought that was a really... Um, yeah, just an amazing way to start a book. Amazing really had me way. in straight away. <laughs> Absolutely. And so I know in I mean Sylvie's had been interviewed many, many times and in, in multiple articles he he says that this inspired him to educate himself about the challenges that this character would be facing. So he wanted to really put himself in the shoes of, you know, someone experiencing this this these these dramas and these this conflict. So yeah, that's where it all came from. So so interesting. So interesting. So then they see let's go back to Vic and Sam. Yeah. So they see each other across the bridge and this mm. unlikely friendship is yes. forged. Yeah. And they both decide that they don't want to let each other down by sort of jumping over and they and they almost commit there and then to saving each other, don't mm. they? Well they go their separate ways that evening, don't they? They um, do. But um yeah, somehow it's like a little yeah, like a little 
contract is kind of like tonight's not the night. No, so maybe no. another night yeah. and maybe individually, but tonight's not the night. No. Um, so it's just even if it's just like one foot in front of the other and one day at a time. That yeah. We commit to living another day. Yes. To seeing where tomorrow takes us. Yes. Now, I don't think we find out how old Vicky is, but I'm assuming he's in his 70s. Yeah. Well, I mean, we know he went to Vietnam. Yes. That he was a serving um, soldier. Um so I'm thinking early 70s, so yeah. early to mid 70s. Probably, but he yeah. lost his wife, Edie, I think 10 years before. But yes. he had recently lost his dog. And I think this dog was their prized possession. And that's one of the reasons why he just thought he just couldn't continue yes, his life. Yeah. And he was just so devastated. Yeah, well, I think the dog was actually considered more his wife's dog. And yeah. so he felt like, you know, the dog had remained with him as, I guess, a little emissary yeah. of Edie's, his wife's. Yeah. And, um, once the dog was gone, he felt like he was final, utterly yeah, alone. alone. He had no longer had, no. you know, Edie's little sergeant. <laughs> exactly, yeah, totally, 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 totally. So, so yeah, so that's how it all starts and mm. it's such an incredible start, such an incredible yeah. start. So why don't we, Jules, talk a little bit about Craig Sylvie. Okay. So hey, this is his third book. Yep. Now, the first one was Rhubarb. Yes. And I haven't Which looked, I, to be honest. I haven't read that. I haven't read it. No. Um, and that one came out in 20, 2004. It was his debut novel. Uh, but then, obviously, there was Just for Jones, which was in 2009, which I know you're a big fan of. Yep. I didn't read it. Okay. It's yep. on my list now yep. after after reading this. but that And that is considered a modern Australian classic. It's interesting to me, having read Jasper Jones and now having read Honeybee, is that um, it's like they're the antithesis of each other. Oh, right. And yet they're both, you know, they're, they're both characters, Jasper Jones and Honeybee or, or Sam Watson, our protagonist, are, um, are, well, I would say young boys, but, I mean, obviously, you know, Honeybee is actually, <laughs> oh, I should say Honeybee is actually Honey- the name that um, Sam's mother gives to him or her at a very young age because she likes to dress up so much and um, so it's a little nickname, Honeybee. Um, and didn't it also come from um, a part he received in a school play and he had to be, he was the right. Honeybee yes, and she yeah. made this. He was buzzing around the garden. Absolutely. In the school play. Yeah. yeah, and he, he actually, later on in the book when he. Um, she. We're, we're, we're thank you so much, Joel. So sorry. <laughs> later on in the book when she sees a counsellor, yes. um, the counsellor asks her to remember, to, to think about his favourite memory and that is when he his mother created this beautiful when his mother I'm so sorry when her mother created isn't it terrible how ingrained we get and entrenched we are very entrenched we are very entrenched yeah okay I'm going to keep trying people bear with us um when um her mother made this beautiful honeybee costume for yes. him. Yeah. yeah, it was beautiful. So, yeah. so that's when, you know, she gets the nickname from her mother and then, you know, that's sort of something that, you know, her mum, Sarah, consistently calls her mm. until they sort of end up moving at age four, well, at Sam's age 14 in with a um, stepdad. Yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, anyway, I, I would say that the two novels, Jasper Jones and Honeybee, it's almost like they they couldn't be more polar. Really, the, the two protagonists. Um, tell me, tell me, tell me, like twenty five words or less, Jasper Jones. Oh, it's a while back, Alex. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, she's I've, on the spot here. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, clearly, get those stats up. Hundreds, maybe. But very, very different. Very different. Top line, very different. Very much like, I mean, set in WA still, and Mm. and but it's actually out in the bush rather than urban. Um, and it's about a cricket loving, you know, young boy. Um, uh, you know, and him dealing with. Um, I think there's a crime in it, and there's like there's a whole lot of um him you know, walking around the Australian wilderness and Indigenous people mm. and there's all sorts of other much, yeah, quite different themes. And yet, you mm. know, the protagonist is, is you know, a young teenage person grappling. Right. <laughs> Understand. <laughs> so two coming-of-age stories but yeah, both very different like, contexts. Very different ends of spectrums. Yeah, absolutely sounds like it. Absolutely really sounds interesting. like it. Obviously he really delves into that. Um, that mindset and that age group extraordinarily well, but it writes for adults. Well, this is the thing, actually. Can we just talk about that? A teenager would probably love this book too. Well, that's right because, and and this is my other question, do you think this is a young adult book or or an an actually an adult? 
Um, fiction book. Both. I would love my kids to read so this. So would I. I actually think I actually think they should. I yeah. can even make my kids all read it. I yeah, think I it's mean, powerful. This, to me, this is the sort of book that should be on um, reading lists. Reading lists. HSC reading lists. I agree. Um, I think Jasper Jones might be actually. I, in fact, I'm, I'm quite sure it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I think that you know, actually, it could be fantastic. Even you know, to to actually study Craig Sylvie's books as a unit yes, within an HSC and actually do the contrast between mm. the the urban and the and the rural yeah. and the transgender and the bog straight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. It'd be quite it'd be very interesting. Very interesting. <clears throat> I'd very interesting. Yeah, totally. You should be an English teacher, Jules. That's what you need to be doing. That's what you need to do. But just back on Jasper Jones. Jasper Jones won so many awards. Yes, um, yeah. in, in the Ireland, an international double literary award, a Michael Prince award. Award, Honor, a Miles Franklin Award shortlisting, and it was actually the Australian Book Industry Award of the Year in 2010. Yeah. So it's it was a massive, massive. Translated into 12 languages, yeah. sold over 800,000 copies Incredible. worldwide, and it was made into a movie yes. and a play. It was too. It I've was seen too. The movie. Have you seen the movie? No, no, no. It was good too. Yeah, it was good yeah. too. But did you know, actually, I know, having read the acknowledgements at the end, that Honeybee was first written as a play? Oh, okay. Yes. I did not. And then he turned it into a book. Okay. And it's interesting because when I was reading it, um, have you read The Tattooist of Auschwitz by Heather Morris? No. Yeah, oh, you have to, you have to read that. That's not it on remind, my list. Yeah, it's on your list. It, it reminded me a little bit of like that because I think that sometimes when they're, I don't know, when they go from screenplay to book, they're written in such a way that they're so easy to digest. There's something yeah. about them. It's almost like they state, not they state the bleeding obvious, it's everything's just so well organised and well thought through and well executed. They're just, I could have digested that book in a day, like in three it's, or four hours. It's easy to read. And The Tattooist of Auschwitz is the same. It's okay. so easy to read. And I think having gone from screenplay to book, it brings an ease of reading that other other books don't always it's have. It's interesting, isn't it? Because it's still, to my mind, I would still say that this is highly literary. Yes. And yet it is not difficult to digest. It's so not difficult and, to digest. And, you know, you talk about easy reads and you seem to, you know, people sort of equate an easy read with something that's not necessarily very literary. But I think this is both. Mm. And, mm. Um, and I think that it's actually... The reason it's so easy to read is because he's quite sparse with his language. There's nothing um, unnecessary in there. Like it's, I mean, I love Trent Dalton, for example, Boy Swallows Universe. There's probably a lot of comparisons. Again, like a you know a, a young person growing up in a difficult urban situation, um, but it was much wordier. And that doesn't mean I'm taking anything away from it. No, but this is so sparse. It's like the way. A teenage boy's mind. I agree works. with that, and that's why I was asking before about yeah. whether you think it's for young adults. But as, as, well, as we agreed, it's, it's for I both. Think it's, yeah, I think it's much more yeah. digestible, and that's yes. probably why I think I would recommend it well above Boy Swallows Universe for young adults. I couldn't agree I just more. Think so much easier to read. Yes, indeed. Um, so therefore, you know, two very different writing styles. Yeah, two yeah. Different. yeah. But I just thought that's uh, that is one of the things I love about it, and I, I I liked your point about whether or not it might be the screenplay back to. I think it is. But I also wonder if that's just good writing. Yeah, maybe it is good writing. Just someone who's capable, so very capable of organising thoughts and yeah. organising plots. Can so still well executed. Just, and... um, make it seem easy. Mm, mm. And we don't really understand quite how much effort that took. No, exactly. <laughs> Sometimes it's very hard to actually make things very simple, write very simply, mm. and he does that so beautifully, so yeah. beautifully. Yeah. So he is a bit of a star, Craig Sylvie, so we are big fans. Mm. I wonder what um, wonder what else is um, you know, on the horizon for him. I don't know. We'll have to, mm. have to see. Have to Probably see. Probably all the um, all the um, book festivals at the moment, I think. Yeah, probably, absolutely. Yeah. Week, so, so let's let's talk, Jules, about some of the other characters in the book. Yes. So we must talk a little more about Vic. Yeah. So Vic is this beautiful older man who takes this, who welcomes Sam into Vic's life, into his life. Yeah. And he and and, and let let's be honest, um, Sam after a period of time goes and lives with Vic, which is very very kind. And Sam makes some mistakes. It's not like you know Sam's still a 14-year-old who's had a rough start to life and he's he makes some mistakes. But Vic seems to have that sort of come what may, I'll catch you when you fall, true parental approach and love for Sam, doesn't he? Well, in some ways he's better than a parent. Yeah. Because he doesn't have, I mean, one of the things I wrote um, when I was just sort of musing on it yesterday. I love that. Um, <laughs> um, I... You know, and you often ask me to sort of define the book in a you know little little bit in you know twenty five words. Yes, or less yes, like yes, yes. And I I wrote that I thought it was the most beautiful cross generational story of friendship and acceptance of how when judgment and expectation are able to be cast aside, love and companionship can lift a person, save them from misery and circumstance. Yeah. 
And that's what... Did Vic, you write that? Yeah. And that's, that's what, <laughs> just quietly. And that's what Vic is. Vic, like, as parents, we bring expectations to our children. We drop those expectations in their laps and we want them to run with those expectations. Mm. Mm. We allow ourselves to be disappointed mm. by our children. Mm. It's and true. Even no matter how good we are at what we're doing with our kids, no matter how our parenting is operating, and, and our kids feel that. I agree. I totally and, agree. And I think what Vic has on offer for Sam is that, um, well, I, I also wrote, Vic just meets Sam's needs in terms of providing food and a roof and safety. But the unspoken and intangible is the very special thing that Vic gives Sam, the permission to be true to herself without fear of judgment yes. or consequence. Absolutely. Now, if he, if she was still living... At home, when she was living at home with her mum, Sarah, whether the boyfriend, Steve, who is a horrible, toxic, masculine mm. character, um, is involved or not, she's still not getting full love and acceptance. She's still getting her own mother's fears about what her transgender journey is going to be like thrown in on top of her own fears about yes. what her transgender journey is going to be of like. Of course. So uh, there's just, you know... Our children carry our fears as well as their own. Sure. And Vic doesn't heap that on Sam. No, he doesn't. You're absolutely so right. Sam gets to walk through life when Vic's there mm. with Vic just by her side. Mm, mm, mm. Um, truly saying, wow, that was a bit of a stuff up or, yeah. oh, are you okay? Yeah. Uh, what can I do, mate? Oh, you know, did you want to wear Edie's clothes? That might be a little shocking to me initially, but now that I can see that you're comfortable and happy wearing Edie's clothes. I'm and good with it. I quite like seeing Edie's clothes be worn yeah. because they're getting some use rather yeah. than sitting in the cupboard, you know, collecting moths. But it's so interesting because Vic and Edie didn't have any children and so he didn't have, I suppose you could argue this is his first um, experience in, in a, and I know you say it's not a parental role, but in sort of a guiding role for a young adult. Yeah. But he took to it just so yeah. naturally, didn't he? In many ways, it was more like a grandparent and child yeah. role. Because I well, remember parental. I didn't mean it wasn't parental. I guess it's just that because he doesn't have the baggage. Of course, no, I understand yeah. that. No, exactly right. Exactly yeah. right. Exactly right. But I remember Jules just deviating slightly when I was little, up until the age of I reckon, well, I don't know. I should say my early twenties. I much preferred my grandparents to my parents. Yeah. <laughs> I love mum and dad now desperately. Don't get me wrong, but there is something about that grandparent or that older person in your life. And you're right, that they don't have any expectations. They're just happy for you to be there. They're just happy just to have what you've got on yeah. offer and and, it's, and and don't have the same expectations that parents. Well, there's a step parents. aside. There's a step away. There, there is your, your, I guess, your failures, for want of a better word. Sure. And we should embrace failures much mm. more and be prepared to call them failures when they are failures and yet not be concerned by that. But um, your failures don't feel as much like they own them. No. Whereas your parents feel a certain ownership. Yeah, it reflects on them when somehow. When things go wrong. Yeah. Even if it's, you know, even if it's something they turn on themselves. Sure. Parents are just so bound up in their children. Yes. Um, and, yeah, that Vic manages to not be as bound up. Mm. And yet Vic still finds a way to support and to ultimately love. Oh, absolutely. Sam. And to recognise that what Sam is actually giving Vic oh. is enormous too. Enormous. Like, enormous. It was powerful. Again, you know, I think as parents we spend a lot of time thinking about all the things we're doing for our children. Mm. Um, And maybe when they're teenagers it's a bit harder to recognise what they're doing for us. Absolutely. Because they're quite selfish at various ages throughout their teen years. But... um, Ultimately, they are doing lots of things for us. They have done lots of things for us and they will continue to do lots of things for us. And maybe those things are less tangible at various times. But, um, yeah, our children all have the ability to affect and change us enormously. Absolutely. And help us grow. And Sam did that for Vic. And that's what Sam has been doing Mm. for Vic the Mm. whole way through. And Mm. Vic sees that. Yeah. You know, Vic recognises that. Um, Absolutely. You know, I mean, I've got a little quote here from Vic uh, where he says to Sam, you're a beautiful kid. You're going to have a big life. You're going to see the world. Be who you want to be. Yeah. You'll see. And Sam says, I'll try. And then Vic says, you saved me, he said. Oh. And then Sam says, I love you, Vic. And oh. Vic says, I love you too, mate. I remember that. Oh. And that was so, so beautiful. So Vic, Vic is just as... Um, 
lucky yes essentially to have found sam as sam is to have found yeah it's true jules Vic. No, it's I mean, a really good point i mean what what vic gives sam from the outside may seem greater because it is food on mm-hmm. the table mm-hmm. less survival basically yeah, he gives absolutely him a means, safety and security yeah, and somewhere to put his to head absolutely in a, a safe environment which he's never had before no never which is ever. very sad very sad <laughs> For, for a 14-year-old yeah. to have never had a secure home Absolutely. is pretty horrific. Yeah. Um, no, it's quite incredible. It's quite incredible. So the other thing that becomes quite apparent when Sam moves in with Vic is mm. Sam's incredible ability to cook. Oh, yeah, I love and that. And I love <laughs> this because when things were very, very tricky when he was living with his mother, particularly when it was just the two of them, yes. and even when the mother moved in with the toxic boyfriend, Steve, one of the things that Sam would do to soothe herself yeah. was to watch Julia Child's videos. Yeah. Now, for those of you who don't know Julia Child's, now Jules here is actually a bit of a foodie, so she's all over who <laughs> Julia Child's would be. So she was an American cooking teacher, I suppose, and television presenter that had this amazingly popular TV show, and she basically brought French cuisine to the American public. Yeah. And her, this she was wasn't her. even a professional chef, though, was she? I think she was actually an amateur who just loved, loved, loved to cook. Yeah, I think that's right. And essentially became. Yeah, a big deal. As if she was a professional because her knowledge was so outstanding. That's right. But uh, And her ability was so good. But, yeah, I think she was self-taught. But do you think, Jules, have you seen the movie Julia and Julia? I think I did watch that. Oh, God, you need to watch that. Yes, yes, yes. Well, and so I don't know how loosely based this is on fact, but in that she actually goes to Cordon Cooking School in Paris. So I don't know whether she finished it or she didn't get a qualification. Short courses. Short courses. Yeah, I think you can do six Mm. months or 12 months, whatever, without then – Normally, if you do such a course, you'd then have to go and of actually course. serve in the kitchen. So of I don't course. think she ever No, I don't think she did any of that. Went she just went in front of the camera. Of, you know. <laughs> so that, so she, had, she, had this, she had this debut cookbook called Mastering the Art of French Cooking. Do you have one of those? Have no, you got I it? No. I do. No. No. I'm really I have, intrigued I've had a now. bit of a look before and it's just a little too old-fashioned. It is quite old-fashioned. Like, you know, lard. And <laughs> yes. No, I know some of the ingredients. Some of those sorts of things where you go, mm, no, not sort of no. modern-day cooking really. And it's quite delicate. Like yeah. we're now into sort of, I suppose, you know, quick and fast and simple and modern, but it's quite, and a lot of very um, um, fattening cakes and all those sorts yeah. of things. Not very in that sort of the healthy vibe, but um, yeah. so he would watch her videos yeah. to soothe himself. I've got a little quote about that. Tell me. Um, again, this is a, this was, this is a section of the book where Sam is still not quite across uh, her own journey in terms of realising that she feels like a girl. Sure. Um, so she says, I felt so alone. I watched Julia Child videos on my new computer and it made my chest settle down oh, a no. bit. I pretended she was talking directly to me. Oh. One of the secrets of cooking is to learn to correct something if you can and bear with it if you cannot, she oh. said. Okay, I said, I'll try. I wanted to dress up. I missed it so much that I ached. Oh. Um, and oh. that's really sad. But I, I even just love that that's the line that Craig Sylvie's chosen as a direct quote from one of Julia Child's videos is one of the secrets of cooking is to learn to correct something if you can and bear with it if you cannot. Yeah. It's like Sam's applying that to her own life. Yes. If I've made a mistake by being born into a male body, yeah. you've got to learn to bear with That's it. That's right. That's right. <laughs> bear with it if you can't change it. So mm. it's like, okay, I'll try. No. I mean, it's so heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. <laughs> my, look, my, my reaction to that book was I just wanted to get in there and I wanted to help Sam. Now, obviously, yes. we're not going to give any spoilers away. And there, there is a beautiful journey in the book and there are highs and lows and, you know, continue to reading, don't give up. But as a mother, that was my initial response. Oh, yeah, I, just, I just wanted to get in there, sort him out, bring him in, find him a room in the house, help him, <laughs> you know, just get him all the help he needed. But, yeah. you know, that's that's how the book made you feel. Um, so the other character I'd love to talk about is the gorgeous Aggie. So, oh, I She's loved her. I want, a, I want an Aggie. I want an Aggie. <laughs> so when Sam moves in to live with Vic, in the same street as Vic lives this gorgeous girl called Aggie. And she is a similar age to Sam. I think they probably – Sam actually doesn't go to school. Yeah. Um, but um, had they been at school, I imagine they would be in the yeah. same sort of year group. Yeah. And she is this sort of, I suppose, self-described nerdy Dungeons and Dragons fan, massive talker, big talker. Incredibly bright. Incredibly bright, high-functioning, who basically just takes Sam under her her wing, doesn't she? Yeah. Loves him. And and I think one of the quotes, and I don't have it directly in front of me, was something like, I've never had had a friend like 
this before. Actually, I've never had a friend before. Yes, yes. And so she fills that void with great aplomb. And so one of the ways that this friendship starts to suppose, I suppose, um, you know, blossom is because Sam brings them food because the mother is a hopeless cook yeah. and the father, they keep burning things and they're always getting takeaway. But Sam brings beautiful madelines or, yes. you know, brownies. He'll and bring they- a plate into the house and he'll, he'll leave it in the kitchen bench and he'll go to Aggie's room and he'll come back down half an hour later and the entire plate will have been polished Gone. off. I know. And Aggie will be furious with her family for having, oh, no. for having polished off this good food. She's like, there's never any good food here. There's like, any good food. I know. Um, but it was beautiful. I thought that friendship was just stunning. I wanted yeah, more of that. Absolutely. You know, and even during, and, and there are times in the book, and again, no spoilers, where Sam makes some mistakes that um, Aggie really struggled with. Yes. But, you know, forgiveness was also another yeah. really powerful theme in absolutely. the book. Absolutely. And but then, you know, he hadn't, at that point, he hadn't trusted her with his truth. Indeed. Um, I'm saying he. He hadn't told okay. her that in actual fact she, you know, felt um, that she had these, you know, um, issues in terms of trying to sort out her own gender identity. Yeah, identity, yeah. Um, and she lied about who her parents were and why oh, she was living quite the story. But she really concocted a lot of stuff because yep. she didn't think that Aggie would like her or be her friend yes. if um, she if Aggie knew the truth. And she didn't want to risk losing it because this is the only friend she had ever had. Yeah. You know, so yeah. the stakes were high. So it's nice that, you know, obviously we get to a certain point in the book where, uh, you know, a conversation is held and there's a whole awakening from Aggie's side, not that she did anything wrong, but that she had a whole other set of assumptions yeah. about Sam and Sam's life based around mm. the lies that she'd been told. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, but she forgives absolutely. She does. And, um, and is, yeah, one of his, yeah, just true, true friends. True friends, absolutely. And in direct contrast to the, 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 the beautiful love that Aggie exudes, let's talk quickly about Steve. Now, Steve mm. is Steve is essentially Sam's stepfather. Yes. Steve um, is Sarah's boyfriend. Yeah. Uh, they never married or anything, but they they lived together pretty quickly. And in fact, they probably lived together for I don't know how many years. That doesn't really say a substantial period of time. You get the impression too that the only reason Sarah's with him really is out of desperation herself. Oh, I couldn't agree um, more. Not that she food, really clothes has, and a roof. When she talks to Sam about the fact that Steve is the only man who's ever truly loved her, but the the definition of love there is so questionable. Oh, my goodness. Um, she hasn't known any different, I guess. So um, just for her meeting someone who is prepared to help her keep a roof over her Absolutely. head. Absolutely. Pay her bills. Um, and then at one stage she she he, he bails her out with some debts which she accumulated while yes. she was a single mum. So she feels in debt to him Indeed. instead. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. But he is the definition of being a toxic male. Oh, he's you know, he treats her yeah. appallingly. Mm. He there is no respect towards her, and also the way that he interacts with Sam. So yes. initially, I was thinking initially, to be honest, the relationship wasn't so bad. Mm. Um, I think uh, Steve really thought he could really help help Sam sort him out. You know, rough him yes. up a bit, yeah. make him a bloke. You know, he couldn't, he didn't naturally get Sam, but he sort of tried to turn him. He took him on a camping trip. He wanted to try and help, but very soon it was very apparent that there was not a meeting of the minds, and Steve just did not get Sam. Yeah, and that's when things. Started and he's to possessive really, as well. Very possessive, so he really yeah. Didn't, he did his best to to break the strong bond between mother and child, between Sarah yeah. and Sam. And he had a real impact um, on that bond. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Although, you know, Sarah yeah. was obviously to blame for that too. Yeah, of course. She, um, the fact that she allowed that to happen. Yes. But, um, yeah. I mean, I've got a, a little quote I wrote down from a um, podcast I listened to, um, Nicole Abadie. Um, runs the books 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 yep. podcast and she spoke to craig sylvie um and in terms of the relationship between sarah and um sam you know she says because they live kind of for the first sort of 11 years yeah that's how i understood um, 11 12 years yeah of, of sam's life they're pretty much just mother and son yes with sam obviously questionable about whether or not he feels like a son yeah, of course <laughs> um um, and but they're pretty much living in their own universe, um, and because of it being their own universe, Craig Sylvie says Sam has such a strong loyalty to his mother, but this confuses his concepts of what a family is or what it should be. It's mm. actually an incredibly fraught upbringing, mm. you know. So it really takes meeting Vic and another character we have yet to discuss, Fella Fitzgerald, yep. um, who is actually otherwise known as Peter. Peter, who is yeah. A, a drag queen that Sam meets and befriends. Um, so it's his friendships with Vic, Peter and 
Aggie, mm. they kind of become the family absolutely that Sam needs absolutely. to actually get him through this incredibly tough period um, of her life so that, um, yeah, she can move on and absolutely. learn the self-acceptance she needs and ultimately, I guess, you know, transition and, you know, I presume go on, you know, to and create a to happy, fulfilled life. Absolutely. And, um, but her mother is what's holding her back. Her mother, yeah, absolutely. It's very um, interesting. Very, very interesting. And and at, at the end of the novel, and no spoilers, there is such a reversal of roles that yes. occurs, isn't there? Yeah, you know, there is, yeah. He very much, um, Sam becomes the parent, makes the decisions, helps, saves, sorts. Mm. Um, so it's uh, it's really incredible. So let's quickly talk about Peter. Yes. So, oh, yeah. my gosh. Peter, otherwise known as... Fella Fitzgerald. Fitzgerald. Which I heard uh, Craig Silvey said he was very proud of himself. He said the difficulty he had coming up with an original good I, drag queen name. I can name. imagine the pressure. <laughs> he said there are so many amazing names out there. <laughs> that was gorgeous. It was a very, very good name. So anyway, so basically he accidentally meets um, Fella Fella Fitzgerald at a drag club that Vic agrees to take him to one night. And yeah. it's sort of a chance meeting, but um, Pete, let's refer to him as Peter and yeah. Fella Fitzgerald, um, plays a huge part in Sam's journey in understanding who he is, he's accepting who he is, getting him the right help. Yeah. Just such a beautiful, beautiful, kind soul. Yeah. You know? And I love that, um, you know, fairly early in the book because um, – Sam is such a confused young person, um, you know, literally going straight or straight from the beginning of the book, you know, where um, where she's attempting suicide yes. or, or stepping away from having attempted suicide. Um, she gets picked up and there's a, some sexual favours and a yes. few things that are a little bit dodgy that go on there. Um, I love that there is absolutely no further hint of any of that impropriety you know with, with from, from both peter or vic yeah i agree with that uh, I, and i was waiting for that to deteriorate yes. i was very concerned Everyone about that acts like when sam is living with this old man that it could only possibly be because the old man's a dirty old perv basically Absolutely. and yet it could not be further from the truth exactly. and it's the same with um with peter Bella. yeah mm. fella Fellow Fella Fitzgerald. Fitzgerald. <laughs> Doesn't roll off the tongue, um, but it's a great name. Yeah. yeah. Um, I agree, there's Jules. There's no impropriety. It's actually just purely out of the goodness of their heart and just community. Like, yes. Uh, I think for Peter, he wants he recognises that Sam is a part, a young member of the community that he is already a part of. Mm. Or, yeah. I think we can call I think Peter is still a he. Yeah. Um, I think Peter still is a he. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I think um, you're absolutely right. And I also think it's very much about acknowledging the struggles that Peter had when he was a similar yeah. age to Sam. Yeah. He just recognises himself in Sam absolutely. and wants to help. Yeah. And it's as simple as that. I know. And it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. Yeah. It's absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. I loved it. Oh, and I've got this lovely little quote yep. about, about Peter too. Sam, this is in Sam's voice. He says, I liked Peter. At first I was suspicious because I didn't know why he was being so kind to me. But I was getting used to trusting him. He sang a lot, especially in the car. If a song came on that he liked, he turned the volume right up and sang the whole thing, even if the windows were down and we were at, red, at a red light. Peter didn't care if people stared or laughed. He turned and looked right back and made them uncomfortable. Sometimes other cars honked or turned their radios up and joined in. I liked his voice. It was loud. I know. And I loved that. Again, that's just a little symbol that Sam has felt unheard. Yes. Sam has felt the opposite of loud his whole, Absolutely. His whole life. And he, he's really starting to connect with the confidence yes. of this older um, transgender friend yes. that he has made and see how life can be. What he could, it helps him project forward. Yeah. There's life a, can be loud. You don't yep. have to hide Absolutely. anymore. Absolutely. Um, and that's that's the a sort of role modelling that Vic couldn't have, couldn't be for No, him, but Peter that provided no that. No one else in the book is able yeah. to role model that because they aren't on the, the similar journey that Sam's taking. Mm. So so Peter was a beautiful character. To beautiful have character. Well. And yeah. to me that the whole character of Peter was all about hope. Yeah. Because Sam could look at him and say, oh, my goodness, yeah, like, you know what, there is hope. I can do this. Yeah. It was so such an important part of the journey yeah. for Sam, I thought. And the fact that Peter is also a nurse um, for his job means that he's also like a, this beautiful nurturing Doesn't kind he? of element to it because, you know, there are a few injuries and whatever Indeed. else and medical things that come up and, um, and he just nurses, nurtures. Um, With incredible Sam care and love. Yeah. 
and yeah, he just he just is just this support that you would not expect no, from agree someone more. who had been a virtual stranger near months. I, I agree. No, I agree. <laughs> it's time. incredible. It's yeah. absolutely incredible. But you know, Jules, what we do need to probably talk about mm. is. The whole conversation around own voices. Now, I love you and I love this book. Like, yes. I, I agree. It is yeah. a standout, totally a standout. Yeah. But there has been some criticism mm-hmm. about the book, and that is because it taps into that whole discussion about own voices. Who has the right to tell what story? Yeah. And Craig Sylvie is not a transgender man or no. a queer man. He is a, a cis CIS male. Yeah. Love that. Now, I know that. Thank, thanks to Julia uh, Baird in Phosphorescence. I'm all over that term. Uh, <laughs> so... He's a cis male, so he's a heterosexual male. Yeah. Um, but he wrote this book, obviously inspired by that situation. His brother and sister-in-law experienced, and he did a lot of research, and he prides himself on the members of the trans community he's spoken to. But at the end of the day, he is not, hasn't transgendered. Yeah. He has never struggled with, with any of the issues that Sam in the book has. Yeah. So does he have the right to tell this story? I feel like absolutely. I know that there are a lot of people who might think that is politically incorrect but I still think that fiction is fiction if I can only write as a woman yeah as a middle-aged woman and only write about other women then where is my actual creativity yeah um and you know similar for any situation like you've always been able to be someone else when you are writing I mean what does that mean for acting are mm. we not allowed to I mean I know that it's starting to you know encroach into Indeed, the it acting is. It world is. like who should get what roles you know you shouldn't be allowed to play someone gay on screen unless you're gay on screen yep. um indigenous like, vice versa I completely yeah. agree that everybody should be chosen by merit for these roles or whatever so I'm not advocating anything else but I just think if we start putting huge limits on what people can and can't write about are we going to be suppressing creativity fictional sphere yeah then our creativity is just going to go down the toilet yeah and it's interesting when Craig's interviewed about this he's he puts his hand up and says scrutinize me tear me apart I, I, I I'm happy to be open about this and he acknowledges the fact that he hasn't had this lived experience but he's done his research and he wants to make a change and he wants to provide a tool for young people who are really struggling and start a conversation and to me the book does all of that and quite aside from anything else if a cis man is able to like delve deeply into um and and do you know so much research into a whole other way of living educate himself and then do his best to write something i just think that surely that's better for that community yes. than to have no one ever write about it absolutely absolutely but it's interesting as i sit here i'm looking across at my books that we've read in the book club and the first one at the top of the pile is yeah. american dirt by janine cummins yeah. and i know you didn't read this one but that book she was absolutely savage for writing that book to you guys absolutely about that. so yeah. she is essentially um a, a, a white american lady yeah. Um, and it's a book very much about um, the journey of um, a, a Latinx mother yes. and her son escaping borders, from Mexico yes, and across yeah. the borders. Yeah. And um, initially, Oprah did a big spiel on it in her book club because it's, pow- it's a powerful story and I encourage everyone to read it. It's a real standout for me. But she was torn to shreds, yeah. torn to shreds. And all she wanted to do was to start a conversation and put a microscope over an issue that so many people are experiencing and try and, you know, try and get some change at a government level. And it's interesting that often the people who are criticized for having appropriated someone else's culture yep. or sexual position or whatever um, are usually well, in my limited number of thoughts I'm having about what the examples I've got they're always sympathetic well, they're incredibly sympathetic and, and they want to create a change that's the thing so they are people who are actually like I've said about Craig Silver going out of their way to educate themselves in yeah. an area that in the past they might not have you know a lot of their readers might not have touched on sure. or read about yes and yet they're still being... I know. And it's not like they're being critical. If no. they're being critical yep. or nasty or racist or horrible mm. or whatever, then sure, mm. rip into them. Mm. They deserve it. But mm. if they're trying to create sympathy for uh, and or empathy for someone else's differences yeah. and illuminate them such that we can all be better for knowing about these yep. differences and accepting these differences, 
then surely that's something positive. I, oh, look, I, I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. It's interesting. Um, the Guardian actually, as part of their sort of, you know, discussion of this topic, um, actually interviewed um, a guy called Ernest Price, who's a transgender writer and high school English teacher. Mm. Now, his direct quote was, no matter how good your intentions, no amount of research will substitute for the depth of feeling that comes with lived experience. The best outcomes simply lack, lack nuance. The worst examples to send into caricature and what's really interesting is before I read a book I never I, I don't do any research online I mean I do enough to know that it's worth reading and then I leave it and then work through my list so when I looked at this um, on Goodreads after I'd finished reading it it's yeah. so interesting it gets about a 4.4 which is pretty good but, yeah. the, but the reviews are so polarized so you've got so people giving it five stars and you've got a whole lot of people giving it one and the people who are giving it one are the people who are a member of the queer or, or, okay. or, trans, or yeah. transgender community because they are very very upset about this okay. they really feel like a lot of the characters have become caricatures okay. um, and that it's a very simplistic. And I think there was one quote that um, a woman shared that she said that it's a sort of book that if you took out the transgender or the, the gender issue, identity issues, it still could have been a great read. Mm. So it really the whole gender uh identity issue from their perspective wasn't given the priority in the novel that they felt it deserved because really? if you are actually living that experience it's, it's more it's more encompassing than perhaps it was portrayed so I'm with you I'm with you I, won- I wonder if though I mean I know obviously we're talking about a fictional character and we a are. fictional set of circumstances yep. um, I wonder if they might feel that it was more all-encompassing potentially for their own circumstance or their own yep. um you know life because they had less going on than Sam did yeah I mean maybe yeah. they weren't homeless for most of their life the way Sam was maybe they did have you know a place to call home um, and supportive parents and or maybe not supportive parents even but maybe just one parent who was supportive or like that's the thing I mean I, I did sort of you know in what in the podcast I listened to I got a quote that I wrote down about the cultural appropriation that so Craig Silby said it's not my intention to speak on behalf of the trans community nor is it my intention to capture some definitive trans experience because my research showed that doesn't exist Mm. everybody has their own experiences all I can attend to is Sam absolutely and that I, I think that sounds fair enough to me I mean if someone writes about stay at home mums that irritates me no end. Yes, I agree with that. And yet I can also see that, um, you know, stereotypes, gross generalisations kind of need to happen to talk about a category of people Mm. at all because otherwise we are so utterly individual that what relevance is an article going to have to me ever? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, So, Jules, in summary, this book, we loved it. Yes. We did love I it. I did love it. I feel a little bit bad that I, because I haven't read about the um, criticisms. Oh, no, well, don't. I feel a little bit, but I want to know a bit more in a way about why people expect to be so well represented when they are so deeply individual. Mm. You know, but it makes me feel a little bit bad that I, I have responded so I don't know, with, with such emotion and um, pull to this but, book. <laughs> but, that, but that's because you are a beautiful 10 out of 10 mother <laughs> who has a teenage son. So the empathy in this book, Jules, is yeah. it's a whole new level for oh, yeah. you and people like you and I, like yes. seriously. Yeah. And so all of those issues, the whole own voices discussion, it's not even on the radar because it's, yeah. this, this has all the feels. I mean, it pulls at the heartstrings. Mm. We just want to rescue him and sort him out. Yeah. Yeah, so and that's why. Stop, you yeah. know? I, I, I wouldn't think it was terribly sad if yeah, authors were painted into the corner of only being able to write about their own life experience. I agree, experience. I agree. That becomes autobiography, really. It doesn't become fiction. <laughs> no, exactly, and that will suppress creativity. Imagine, yeah. imagine that, being only able to write within certain boundaries. So, yeah, yeah no, it's, we, don't want, we don't want that. No. We don't want that. I, I do like to think that, you know, authors would be sensitive enough to... Um, to do that, uh, to do justice, yeah, and to do their research, to do their research. And, and absolutely. And to be honest, I think most publishing houses would absolutely they would shut anyone down that yeah. didn't do that. Yes, because it reflects on them. Oh, and absolutely, I, you know, they'd probably be sued. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. No, no, so no. even just for protecting their own financial interests, it's always going to be taken care of in exactly. that manner. So exactly. Yeah. 
No, it's very, very interesting. But look, mm. we love this. And look, I think we need to say that um, there are some parts of the book where there there is some violence. It's pretty violent in some of it, I, I thought. Um, and, um, you know, but it's not, but, it's, but, it's, but, it, but is it still suitable for a 15 or 16 year old? Yeah. Yeah. I but think it's, so. it's some pretty, but there are some dark times in the book. But there are some beautiful, joyous moments. And there are some very, very hilarious times as well, don't you think? Like, I, I had a few little giggles with the humor and the conversations with Aggie, and then the whole drag queen thing was gorgeous and, yeah. you know, so over the top and entertaining. And mm. I, I, I really, really loved it. But I just think, to me, it's all about hope. It's about acceptance, yeah. um, the power of friendship. Yes. Just so many beautiful themes that would be so suitable for a teenager yeah. who is possibly grappling. Yeah. It's going to be such a powerful vehicle oh, for them. Yeah, no, ma- no matter what they're grappling exactly with. Exactly right. Because, That's exactly you know, it. Teenage pain is teenage pain. Oh, like, yes, it comes um, in many different forms. Yeah, hurts. you wouldn't need to be um, a teenager who was wrestling with gender identity, I don't think, to no. actually relate to, I guess, bullying, the, yes. the issues of bullying, the issues of friendship, the of issues of acceptance, the issues of... You know, I guess stereotyping parent, as well. The, the, the parent-child relationship, yes. all of those kinds of things. All of those are common experience mm. to m- almost all of us. Indeed, they are. <laughs> um, Indeed, they are. Yeah. So the transgender thing doesn't necessarily even. It can add another layer, but it doesn't have to be something that you're, you yourself are experiencing Not at all. to love this book and Not to at get all. a lot from it. But it is also a fabulous insight into the journey of someone who is, who is you know, trans, trans, transitioning rather. Mm. And I would love my boys to read that because yeah. I think it is it's pretty powerful. It's pretty powerful. So yeah. so please read it. We loved it. Mm. We thought it was Absolutely. incredible. Yeah. And um, I'm going to go back and read Jasper Jones. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a good book. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I have to probably reread it myself to remember too much. Isn't that terrible? But yeah, well, when you're reading a book a week, Jules, it's been, so it's been, more. <laughs> it's been quite some years. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. So thank you all so much for listening and uh, being part of our little book club. And a huge thank you to the wonderful Jules. No worries. She I turns enjoy up. It. Oh, I just love talking about books, and I, I particularly love talking about this one. No, no, Jules. But she turns up with pages. Quotes. Not that many. Not many this time. Oh, okay, can we just say this today? It's from the heart. It's three double sided, babes. Yeah, it's only small type, small it's font. Six. Oh, it's impressive. It's not typed. It's oh, just it doesn't matter. <laughs> Plus, we've got little post-it notes out of the book. She's impressive. I'm going to post a picture of her because she's that impressive. Um, so, thank you, my friend. No Always worries. such no a pleasure. It's one of my it. highlights of my life doing this, actually. So, um, <laughs> thank you, thank you, and a big thank you to everyone for listening. So grateful to have you on board. So lovely to have a little bookie community. Nothing, nothing quite like it. Now, let me tell you about what's happening in two weeks' time. We are reading, well, this is going to be a good one, My Year of Living Vulnerably by um, Aussie journalist Rick Morton. So I'm doing this one with Mandy, and Mandy loves this book. She keeps sending me photos of key passages and inspirational moments. So it's, um, it's going to be a really good one. So I'm very much looking forward to that. So thank you, everyone. Have a wonderful week, and we'll catch you soon.